It's a Mailbag Monday. We've got your questions about prospects with tons of raw power, national shortstop C.J. Abrams, and why prospect evaluators tend to overhype certain prospects. Let's talk about it. You are Locked On MLB Prospects, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Yes, welcome on in to Locked on MLB Prospects, your home for all things minor league baseball. I'm your host, Lindsey Crosby, baseball writer and podcaster. Thank you for making this your first listen every single day. And as we do every Monday, all of these questions come from listeners. If you have a question for the Monday Mailbag, I'm on Twitter at Crosby Baseball, shows on Twitter at Locked on Farm, or you can email us, Locked on MLB Prospects at gmail.com. So first question is from Memorabilia Madness on YouTube, and he's responding to our show last Wednesday where we were looking for minor league and major league players that had some of the same characteristics as Aaron Judge to see if we could figure out who might contend for an MVP in the future. And he asked, what about uh, Reds third baseman Christian Encarnacion Strand? And I think this is a perfect example of a guy that doesn't get probably the respect that he deserves, but is a very, very good ball player. So 2021 fourth rounder out of Oklahoma State by the Twins. Him and Spencer Steer were the two big parts of the Tyler Molly trade between the Reds and the Twins. And 122 games in 2022 divided between High A Cedar Rapids, which is part of the Twins organization, Double A Wichita, about 13 games there, part of the Twins, and Double A Chattanooga in the Reds organization. Uh, hundred in that 122 games, 304, 368, 587, 32 home runs, 68 ex- extra base hits, 40 walks to 137 strikeouts. So Christian Encarnacion Strand absolutely has the raw power and the contact ability to one day have an Aaron Judge type season. Uh, lowest batting average he's had in his entire minor league career was a 296 in Cedar Rapids. Uh, I mean, lowest slugging he's had is 522 and his minor league average is 588. Like absolutely has the stuff to have an impact performance at the major league level. He's going to be limited to a corner infield as far as defense goes. Place first, place third. Uh, and the Reds have a ton of middle infielders, or just infielders in general, in that system. And so it's going to be a question of who's going to play where. I think part of the reason that maybe some people forget about CES is, we're going to call him CES now because it's so much quicker, is he's like the 16th prospect in the, the Red system. And nothing against him. The Red system is full of really good prospects. If you put him in any other system... He's a top 10 guy. Uh, you put him at the Yankees, he's probably a top five prospect right behind their, you know, their kind of big three of uh, of Volpe and Dominguez and Peraza. And so a uh, little underrated because one, I think people kind of discount the corner infield defensive hole you're having to put him in. And then two, I think it's just there's so many players ahead of him that he's not in the top 100. He's not in the top five or even top 10 of his own organization. But from a larger picture look, he's absolutely a dude that deserves to be discussed as a guy with a combination of power and skill to, if everything broke right, 
to one day contend, you know, have an Aaron Judge type power performance season. I see him as an easy 30 got 30 home run guy in in the bigs. Talking about a guy who kind of could see as a 30 home run guy in the bigs, Nationals outfielder James Woods. Another guy that fits well in this uh collection of tools to try to do what Aaron Judge does. 67240 was a 2021 second rounder out of high school by the Padres was moved uh, as part of the Juan Soto deal. But 76 games in the minors divided amongst obviously multiple organizations, you know, and and cuz move, moving from the Padres to the Nationals. 313 425 36. Uh, 12 home runs, 40 extra base hits, 50 walks to 75 strikeouts, and then went 20 to 25 on stolen bases. Just projects to be like a right fielder, average arm, above average speed, but 80 grade raw power and very good contact ability. Uh, I think that he has a chance to get to average. And the question that you're going to have there is, He's got, he's 6'7", so he's got those long levers, right? And he's having to try to rein those in, keep those under control. And then he's still pretty young. So there was a little more risk on there than you would typically have uh, from, a num- like from a number three overall system prospect. But another guy with the raw tools to make it happen. George on Twitter, speaking of Nationals prospects, asked about C.J. Abrams. Uh, and what the outlook was for him in 2023 after what he did in 22 and getting moved. So, quick refresh here. 2019 first rounder out of high school by the Padres. Again, moved in the Juan Soto deal. Most top prospects in the national system are either pitchers they've had for a couple years or guys who got moved in the Juan Soto deal. Uh, 90 games at the big league level. He got 46 for San Diego. He played second. He played short. He played outfield. He got 44 for Washington, and he played all shortstop for those. So 90 total games, 246, 280, 324. Two home runs, 16 extra base hits, five walks to 50 strikeouts. Now the scouting report on C.J. Abrams is pretty clear. 80 grade speed, um, the tools to have plus defense at multiple positions, above average arm, plus contact ability with average power because he's got elite hand-eye coordination. And I think the issue you saw in 22 is C.J. Abrams walked 1.7% of the time. And the reason for that is he's incredibly aggressive at the plate. So uh, he saw 3.33 pitches per plate appearance. Average in Major League Baseball was 3.9. Uh, and and the reason for that is he swung a lot. So uh, pers- he swung at 57% of pitches thrown. For context, the MLB average is about 48%. He had the 12th highest swinging percentage on pitches outside of the zone, the, the strike zone, and the 14th highest on pitches inside the strike zone. So it doesn't matter if it's a ball or a strike, he's swinging. And because teams know that he's swinging, they threw strikes to him 71% of the time, whereas the MLB average is 64.1%. The idea here is they know that he's going to swing. So so they're throwing stuff that is in the strike zone, getting him to either swing and miss or make low-quality contact. And 
what C.J. Abrams has to do is has to start determining and identifying these are the pitches that I can hit hard and these are the pitches that I need to lay off of because you're not going to get the pitches out of the zone where they're trying to get you to chase where you can draw a walk until you stop swinging at borderline pitches or pitches that aren't hittable and then when you do swing you have to punish it you have to punish them for throwing a middle middle fastball or something and so uh, CJ Abrams just a little bit of work to do the raw I mean the the abilities there we've we've seen some of the raw numbers this year 30 games in AAA El Paso after he got sent down by San Diego 314 364 507 like the like the raw tools are there he just has to do a better job at recognizing having a plan when he goes up to bat and swinging at the pitches that he can hit well versus swinging at everything that he can get to cuz he can get to just about everything the issue is it's not going to be quality contact it's not going to lead you to a base hit and ultimately the goal is to get on base we don't care how you do it and if you can improve the quality of your contact and draw more walks versus slapping everything into the ground and trying to beat out throws, that's great. In just a minute, I have a great question from Jake on Twitter about prospect evaluations. But first, today's episode is brought to you by our friends at BetOnline. BetOnline.net is your number one source for sports betting info, news, and analysis. You can get the latest odds and trends for every professional and amateur league out there. Football, Obviously, college and pro, you've got basketball, soccer, esports, they've got it all at betonline.net. Uh, it's the fastest and easiest way to get your betting fix, and they have a lot of fantastic information. They'll always give us fun lines like, if Dansby Swanson doesn't re-sign with the Braves, where might he go? Uh, if Aaron Judge doesn't re-sign with the Yankees, where might he go? They actually had one out there for, for over-under on total dollar value of Aaron Judge's contract, and it was... I think like $320 million, either over or under $320 million, something like that. So head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends in action because Bet Online is where the game starts. Okay, so Jake on Twitter had a, a good question that I don't really have an answer to. He wanted to know why prospect analysts overhype certain players. And the example that he gave, and I think probably the best example that I've seen on some of these, is Jason Dominguez. You know, he says Jason Dominguez is going to be a good player, but he's not going to be like a Trout or Tatis level stud, right? And if you'll rem- like, that's underselling where everybody put Jason Dominguez when he was first signed. If you'll remember when he first signed, the comparisons were... I mean, Mickey Mantle was getting thrown around. Like, that was the kind of comparison to Jason Dominguez. And I think that there's a couple reasons why prospect analysts, the prospect apparatus, if you will, as a whole, sometimes over overhypes certain players and overstates certain players. And the first reason is a lot of prospect evaluators look at a lot of players. and you, as the general listening public, you don't necessarily hear about every player that they look at because they may, you know, you may watch, when you go to a minor league team, there's 30 guys, you know, there's 24 guys on you know, on the roster. It doesn't mean that they're all going to pan out as prospects. It doesn't mean that you necessarily care about all of them. But 
speaking from experience, when you've watched a bunch of bad baseball or subpar baseball or average baseball and average baseball players, and you see somebody with fantastic tools that stands out, it's very easy to get kind of caught up in the promise that you can see in those tools and how good that player looks and oversell it a bit. Uh, I call it losing sight of the forest for the trees. Like you're so focused on these individual things that you miss the overall big picture. And when the, the biggest place where I think prospect evaluators mess up on this stuff, and I try really hard on this show to not do this, but it's very easy, one, giving comps kind of gives people the wrong idea because you may be intending the comparison to be this is the play style, the type of game that you're going to see from that player, but fans or uh, you know casual observers or even people who aren't familiar with that person will look at that c- comparison and instantly compare the stats and compare uh, that that is gospel. And then I think too not being as clear about the top tier outcome for the player versus the most likely outcome if he makes it. Kind of making that, you know, at best, best case scenario, you're looking at X and Y. More realistic is you're looking at probably Y. And then when we do all of this, everybody kind of ignores the inherent risk in any given prospect. So if you look at, and Jason Dominguez isn't a good example for this because Jason Dominguez was not drafted. He was signed as an international free agent. But uh, if you look at the MLB draft and you look at the number of drafted players in every year, every year's draft that make it to the bigs, it's around on average about 17% of players. Now, that number comes from pre 2021, where the draft is shorter and only 20 rounds. So I can't necessarily, I believe the projection is that's going to move to about 21% because you have less, teams have less of an opportunity to take a flyer on a long shot. So the projections, that's going to rise to about 21%. But still, at best, one in five prospects ever makes it to MLB. And that's very much Uh, defined by the round you get taken in. First round prospects are more likely than not to make MLB. Uh, 73%. And this is, the, the, the look back period on this was 1980 through 2012. Just heads up on that. Round one's about a 73% chance of making MLB. Round two, it's already a coin flip. 51% of secondly, of second round draft guys in that sample made MLB, and 49% did not. Round three, it's about 40%. And then from there, it drops off precipitously, like like just significantly drops off from there. And I think the biggest thing here, only just under 10% of drafted players will, will ever record a positive war in MLB. So about... 17 to 20% will appear in Major League Baseball. But just about 10% of them will actually be above average. You know, it, it, it comes out to about 83 players per draft. are Like, not only make it to MLB, but have a positive contribution versus being average. 
And so the most likely outcome for any given prospect, just any random prospect, is they're not going to make it. Uh, and and even with guys who seem like slam dunks, like a Jason Dominguez, when you oversell what their potential, what their you know 99th percentile outcome could be, you make like it sets them up for failure because there's no way that Jason Dominguez was going to be able to live up to the comparisons of Mickey Mantle. That was never going to happen. There is a like literally. That's a generational comparison that the odds of that happening are so infinitesimally small. And so, like, one, that's why I don't do comps on this show. Because I don't want somebody to hear, oh, yeah, yeah, this is the comparison for that guy. He's going to be just as good as that guy. Well, no, that's the, the style of play. That's what his game reminds me of when I watch. I'm trying to paint a picture for you as to if you were to picture what he would do on the field, it would be like that. Uh, but comparisons make it where it's very easy to overhype players. And then so, sometimes you just don't necessarily have the proper, the proper distance from it or the proper, the proper ability to, to take emotions out of it and just on sheer ability what you saw on a baseball field, here's what you thought. I struggle very hard. I live in Auburn, Alabama. I struggle very hard to properly evaluate players from Auburn University because I have watched them in college baseball. I know a lot of them. I've met them. I've covered them on a like a professional basis. And so it's it's very difficult to do that and I just want to like prospects get overhyped all the time and none of us get it get it right all the time. None of us are perfect, but I there's some common sense things that we can do to make it better. And I think one, and it's just what I choose to do, not everybody's going to do this, but I don't like to give comparisons because that sets, it up, sets the players up for failure. In just a minute, I've got a couple rapid fire questions about potential trades and things like that and how to value your prospects. And we'll talk about that in just a second right here on Locked on MLB Prospects. And we're back. So Tyler via email had an interesting rebuttal to the Pablo Lopez trade show that I put out. I was trying to find a place to send Pablo Lopez and we looked at the Orioles, a couple other places. He thinks that Pablo Lopez should go to the Angels and the package that he offered to, to solve some of the needs that Miami has, the, the, as told to me by the fans, shortstop, center field, is he wants to send infielder Lu- Luis Renjifo, pitcher Ryan Costu, and outfielder Jordan Adams for Pablo Lopez. So, real quick on this, Renifo is an MLB piece, uh, 264 average this year, 17 home runs. He was a Silver Slugger finalist. He was a Gold Glove finalist. Played third, played short, played second, all over. Um, John Morosi reported that there were teams interested in trading for him, but the Angels want to keep him because they want to make a push to contend around Otani in his final year of contractual control. I tried to put this trade into baseball trade values and it literally would not accept it to be evaluated. It said it was it was too lopsided. And Jordan Adams is a, a below average hitter with okay raw power and it hasn't manifested in games yet. Good defense in, in center field, but he feels like a defensive replacement number four outfielder kind of is his cap. Uh, Ryan Costu is a, is a reliever. Um, 
you know, set up to to middle relief kind of guy. And then Renifo is had a good season last year. That was the first year that we've really seen it all kind of click together. And so there's still a little bit of question about whether or not that's for sure or not. I think if if the Angels are trying to trade for Pablo Lopez and they're not willing to give up Renifo or they're not willing to give up one of the MLB pieces like a Taylor Ward, which makes sense because they're trying to contend. They don't want to give that up. You're looking at a package, probably something like shortstop Zach Neto because you've got to get a shortstop in there somewhere. Uh, outfielder Jordan Adams, give them a floor of defensive co- competency in center field. Uh, you're probably sending Joe Adele in that trade, an MLB guy who who has not yet put it together in Los Angeles and is a prime candidate for a change of scenery, especially with Mickey Moniak coming over. And then a pitcher, either an MLB piece like right-hand pitcher Jimmy Hargert or a minor leaguer like Bachman or Bush. Figure out whichever one you think is closer and to the bigs and send the other one. Trade Values has that as a little more of a realistic package. But even then, it just it feels like that's not really a good fit for organizations because... The Angels don't have the top-end prospects, and they don't have to to get somebody like Pablo Lopez and to fill the needs that the Marlins have, you know, shortstop center field, you have to deal from the major league team, which just hurts the major league team in your effort to try to contend in the final year of having Shohei Otani. So I just don't necessarily think it's probably the best fit as far as prospect to uh to team. Did I have a question from Jerry about about how you value your prospects. And this is this could be a whole show. This is very difficult. But long story short, I think the main takeaway on prospect valuation is when in doubt, you're probably overvaluing your own prospects. Uh, a lot of teams, and especially and a lot of fans do this too. And I mean, even people like me are guilty of this from time to time. Uh, when you're... Like if you're a fan of, let's say, the Reds, and you have drafted this guy, Ellie De La Cruz, and you've seen what he could do. He's been in your minor league system for a few years now. For the most part, you're going to value him higher than someone else will. Now, different teams may have different valuations or do have different valuations on prospects based on uh, what they project as the most likely outcome versus the See the height, the high ceiling, and things like that. But for the most part, uh, fans and organizations overvalue their own prospects. I can't tell you how many trade suggestions that I've seen sent in to me that were, uh, you know, let's trade these two or three guys barely in the top 30 for a Sandy Alcantara, or we're going to go get Matt Olson from the Braves. And the package is nowhere near what it would take to do something like that. And so, it's overvaluing the organization's own prospect and devaluing or not appreciating the other organization's reluctance to part with their player. Uh, for the most part, if you want to go out and get a stud prospect or a stud MLBer, you have to overpay to do it. Uh, especially uh, unless the team is actively shopping that guy. So Pablo Lopez may be, it's not going to be the package that, that was sent in, but I mean, Pablo Lopez could very well get moved. And it could very well be a package where you're like, yeah, that makes sense. That's a perfectly fine package. But for the most part, if you want to go out and get a stud prospect or a stud young MLB player in a trade, you have to overpay. 
And so that's the big thing behind prospect valuation is you overvalue usually your own prospects and you undervalue what it would take to pry another player loose from their organization. Uh, Joseph had a question, non-baseball related question, the top five uh, meats in my family for Thanksgiving. Like what, what are my favorite, obviously turkey's going to be on the list, but like what, what are the, the meat options for Thanksgiving in two weeks? He also asked one about sides. I'll put that next week because obviously you're kind of leading up to the thing. Uh, so we have we have like five different things that we could do. And we always, a couple weeks before, talk and figure out who else coming. What are we going to do? Uh, if you're doing a standard turkey, two great ways to do it is one, uh, just like a roasted turkey. You, you brine it. I usually brine it for about 24 hours. And then we'll do what's called spatchcocking. You, in essence, you cut out the backbone and you can lay the turkey flat. Uh, I will do that over like a pan of like a root vegetable hash. The entire turkey will cook in about an hour, 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 20 minutes because it's flat. And so you're better able to get heat into both sides of it. Um, we'll do that or we'll smoke a turkey. Smoke turkey. Uh, smoked poultry is one of my favorite meats. Uh, whenever we have the smoker fired up here at the house, it's either something like a pork shoulder for, for pulled pork or it's poultry. It's, it's chicken, it's turkey, it's something like that. Because Alabama is also known for a white barbecue sauce. It's a mayonnaise, ba- mayonnaise and apple cider vinegar based sauce. So smoked poultry is very good around here. Um, another option we do sometimes is a, a whole pork tenderloin. We'll buy the entire pork tenderloin. We'll do that in the oven. That's always a hit. Uh, one that I love, my wife doesn't necessarily care for too much, but roasted leg of lamb. Uh, this is absolutely fantastic. We'll, we'll roast it uh, low and slow. I don't buy that like that neon green mint jelly, but we'll do like a like a mint reduction kind of sauce to go along with it. It's really good. And then an underrated any holiday, and I just I keep a bunch in my chest freezer in the garage, is a city ham. And when you bake it in the oven, you put on like a maple bourbon glaze. That's always really good too because uh, a nice smoked ham is a fantastic. Uh, sandwich protein the next day or two or three after. And so like we'll do a whole ham, especially if it's going to be a smaller Thanksgiving, we'll do a whole ham on Thursday. And then I've got ham to make sandwiches with on on Friday and Saturday and Sunday. And it's always great. So reminder, if you have questions for the mailbag, I'm on Twitter at Crosby Baseball, shows on Twitter at Locked On Farm, or you can email us, LockedOnMLBProspects at gmail.com. Until tomorrow's show, this has been Locked on MLB Prospects.